I think it should never be permitted to happen again. That is very good. Hello everyone and welcome to the Cricket Podcast with me, Jack Hope and Ross Legg. Hello. Uh, This is a special episode of the Cricket Podcast. We've invited Mash and Santoki from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast on to join us to talk about the West Indies before England play them in a three-match test series. Uh, it was quite an enjoyable chat, I thought, Ross. Yeah, really nice couple of guys and some really great insights into uh, kind of West Indies cricket ahead of um, ahead of the coronavirus series that we've got ahead of us. So, um, and it was quite refreshing knowing that other cricket fans around the kind of from different teams around the world also have reservations about their team. It's always <laughs> yeah. good. No, it was, uh, it was good. Um, that's, I mean, that to be honest is is the body of the episode. Um, so after a quick chat about some contemporary stuff, um, it will be it will, ju- it will just be that. Um, speaking of contemporary stuff, uh, this weekend, Ross, what took place? The Vanuatu Blast Finals Day. So the the T uh, the T10 competition on the other side of the globe, um, kind of was coming to its coming to its end. So if you're a shark, so this is the empty balls. So we're obviously going for the empty balls. Um, unfortunately, they they blew their load and um, they uh, didn't make the final. So if you're a sharks, marched into the final um, where they would play the mighty Fate Panthers. And uh, in that, um, if you're a Sharks, scored 85 in their 10 overs and um, restricted the mighty Panthers to uh, only 52 in their 10. So uh, congratulations to the uh, Ifira Sharks. Um, one of the things that did come out of it is that uh, there was an unbelievable performance on the day by Nalin Nipico. I think yeah, yeah, I think Nipico is. What I, I watched some of the highlights. I think it's Nipico, yeah. And he's uh, he's now the Vanuatu cricket captain, and he smashed it in the um, semi-finals, and then absolutely smashed it in the final, including bowling one over in a T10 for two runs. Yeah, he. Um, I, I saw this. He scored. What did he score? Forty in in the first game, then twenty-five in the second. Took two wickets in both matches, and he ran someone out with like an insane one-handed pick-up and throw from about sixty meters. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 seriously um, it's a day out I think is what the Australians call it. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be he'll be dining out. he'll be dining out for the rest of his life on that. He's gonna have a little bit of a bit of a cult status, I reckon. Yeah, um, I, 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 I can see that coming up. Um, we we are hoping to have uh, Shane Dites, who is uh, what exactly is Shane? He's like the head of Vanuatu cricket, or um, uh, something to do with like, the development of. Um, Vanuatu cricket. He he's the one on the Twitter advert. If you've seen that, mm. and we're hoping to get him on the show in the next week or so. Um, but the time difference is making that a little bit complicated. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> we'll, I'm crossed, sure we'll make it work. Fingers crossed, we can get him on. Um, I think that's sort of broadly it, isn't it? From from contemporary cricket. Uh, is there is there anything we need to remind our our audience, Ross? Um, they can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Cricket Pod, and uh, we're, as always, we're looking kind of for stories um, of the funny variety, pretty much to um, kind yeah. of share. So, uh, if you want to email those across, um, you can do it on thecricketpod at gmail dot com. Yeah, um, and then the same as last week, we're we're trying to. We're trying to grow our audience, and we think one of the best ways to do that is um, word of mouth. So if you can, uh, if, if, or if you enjoy the show, please pass it on to, to like just one other person uh, yeah. who doesn't already listen. And then if we could just double our, double our listenership every week, uh, it'll, be, it'll be quite a slick operation <laughs> in, um, in about a month or so's time. <laughs> pass the pod. Well, uh, enjoy the interview. Uh, it's really good. And thank you to the um, Caribbean Cricket Podcast for joining us. Uh, yeah, and um, Ross, I'm going to give you a quick choice here, though. Uh, we've got I've got a couple of jingles lined up. We can remember England's World Cup win. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can have the story of Ben Stokes, or we can just have the uh, the the um, the other one, the break, normal break jingle. What would you like to to hear? Uh, let's go for the World Cup one. All right, cool. Um, yeah, when we're back, we'll be talking with uh, Mash and Santoki. Uh, enjoy. We're great fun. This ended apparently in the early hours of Saturday morning with the all-rounder capsizing a pedalo at Senior Team Hotel. It's gone for four. Ireland have won. They've beaten England. England's World Cup future hangs in the balance. The Bangladesh Tigers have knocked the England Lions out of the World Cup. This is going to be 
Today we are joined by Mash and Santoki from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast who are here to discuss the upcoming series between England and the West Indies uh, for the Wisden Trophy. Um, currently held, of course, by the West Indies after their 2-1 series win at the beginning of last year. Um, before we get into that, though, um, fellas, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourselves and sort of generally uh, how you're doing at the moment? Do you want to go first, Santoki? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, as you said, um, Santoki, um, I'm Santoki Nagalengen, co-host with Michelle. We kind of, we started a Caribbean cricket podcast just because we were like, we're the only two fans in England of West Indian origin who seem to still care about cricket. So we thought this is a good topic to have a podcast. We've just taken it from there. Um, as I was telling you off air, the lockdown has kind of increased our productivity and we've managed to get guests such as Ronnie Sarwan, Kieran Powell, Johnny Graves, the director of West Indies Cricket, on recent episodes and we're very much looking forward to the tour of the West Indies coming up. Brilliant. Yeah, um, as, as Santelki kind of just echo everything Santelki says and um, yeah, I think the only thing I would add is that I think, and it's interesting, given, I don't know if you both are... The three of you have um, seen the Michael Carberry um, interview this morning. I think it was this morning. And um, Santoki and I have had conversations in the past that, like the the kind of Caribbean diaspora in the UK, it still exists. But the love or existence of people playing cricket, you would be very, very hard to find them. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it not it. Some of what um, Michael Carby was saying was no surprise to me in a sense or in the context of, well, where is everybody? Um, and Santoki and I weren't even friends. We... <laughs> <laughs> we... Neither were we. <laughs> <laughs> we just happened to, I don't, we just happened to, I think we met on Twitter, you know, I can't even remember. But, um, we just happened to, to luck into each other and be like, what, you like cricket too? That's how rare it was to find someone else. Um, uh, from the diaspora who was still into the cricket. So, yeah, from there, we just thought, let's create a podcast about with that as the kind of uh, basis for it because maybe we'll find some other people. And so far, we've found, like, four. <laughs> uh, in terms of percentages, that's great, though. I was going to say, it's good. It's good <laughs> yeah, no, that's, a, that's, that's quite a good origin story. I mean, compared to ours, which is, like, Every other cricket together when we were young. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, we might as well get on with uh, sort of the first question then. Um, so, obviously, to address, well, I mean, it's, I suppose it's one of the elephants in the room uh, at the moment in, in global terms. But this is the the first international series um, since March, I think. Yeah, March thirteenth. Um, yeah, every all the both teams will be playing in kind of like a biosphere arena. Um, what is the general feeling in, in West Indies cricket about coming to England in the middle of the pandemic? And, and I know today you guys tweeted um, something about some money changing hands. So I, 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 I think from our point of view, we'd be interested to hear what do people think about this tour happening? So when we interviewed Johnny Gray, so we interviewed Johnny Grave, I think it was about April, May-ish, maybe early May. And um, we asked him on there, what's the state of play uh, with England? And he said there was negotiations. They didn't really know if it was going to go ahead, but there were negotiations to see if it could happen. And so I think the reason I start there is to kind of just separate the idea that there's an administrative way of looking at it. And when you look at it from the administrative point of view, Cricket West Indies financially is in a hole, as in fairness are the ECB if this tour didn't Mm -hmm. go ahead. No, Um, definitely, yeah. And... I've now come full circle to believe that this tour is actually just about we'll scratch your back if you scratch ours. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's ever going to properly say that out in public, (laughs) but I suspect that that's what it's actually about. The players, on the whole, seem far more excited about it than I imagined, because Santoki and I thought that more of them would pull out. 
than actually did. And in the end, it was only what Darren Bravo, Shimron Hetmeyer, and Kimo Paul were the only three to to pull out who would have been chosen. And the the players, if you read between the lines of what everyone's saying, seem are treating this as this is a normal World Test Championship series, and we're here to win. Yeah. Which I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm surprised at from a fan perspective or. If maybe it's just bravado, or maybe that's what any professional sports person would say and do um, in, in this circumstance. But I think the nearer it gets to the tour kicking off, I think all of us from both the England side and from the West Indies side, we're all just going to revert back to normal. And we're just like, well, a series is on, so let's get straight into it and, yeah. Let, yeah. and let's watch it. What do you reckon, Santo? Yeah, I was going to add, I think if from the perspective of a West Indian player, you kind of do have to put up a wall of bravado because if you look at it in real terms, Barbados and Antigua, they've had no cases of COVID in the last two weeks. So you've got players flying from those islands coming to a country where there's been estimated around 50,000 deaths. So I think if you step back and do actually look for, look at it from that point of view, it would be very dangerous for the West Indian players to kind of dwell on that now, especially they're in the country. So I think they have put up a wall of bravado and kind of given this view that we're here to play a series, we're professionals, let's ignore kind of what's going on outside. It's, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks as well because everyone's going to be a bit on edge because if one player kind of gets it, like it's all, all hell breaks loose, really. Exactly. It's like a domino effect, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and, and no one's actually made it clear. I think I've been reading a lot of tweets about this. So the idea seems to be if, if one player gets it, they go into isolation and we carry on. But... That seems that seems weird to me. <laughs> in any normal circumstance, if in my job, if in my day-to-day -day job, I get it, and anyone I've had contact with, based on the government's kind of test and trace thing, wouldn't a whole group of people? Yeah, I mean that, that, that going to forty that's, days. That's actually the ICC guidance on it is to treat it effectively like concussion, which. Um, isn't actually contagious. Uh... <laughs> yeah, just substitute them out. It's fine. Um, yeah, so I think that's my neighbour uh, doing something in the corridor. <laughs> uh, so with um, with Hetmeyer, Bravo, and Paul kind of um, not not travelling, what kind of impact does that actually have on the quality of the West Indies squad? I think um, the biggest loss will obviously be Darren Bravo, just because he's a very experienced player. He, he does well overseas. He tends to do well in tough batting conditions overseas. Mm -hmm. And in a, in a generally an inexperienced batting lineup, he, he would have been priceless. Um, obviously, he hasn't played he hasn't played in the past two years as much as we would like to have seen him because of issues with the West Indies cricket board. But I think his omission is going to affect the quality of performances from the West Indies the most. I think um, we're we're big fans of um, Hetmeyer on the show. Mm. I'm, I mean, I'm gutted I'm not going to get to see him bat in the floppy hat. That's that's my biggest, <laughs> biggest loss for me. I mean, that's that's something me and Mash discussed on our podcast. It's kind of like Hetmeyer, stats-wise, on on paper, his test record his test record isn't great, but mm. he's someone who's got so much potential. He's someone who could create fireworks and kind of step up to the plate on a big tour in England. Yeah. So as well, it's going to be a massive blow um, to not have see him perform as well. Um, I suppose there is a chance, though, to see some new talent. So there's a couple of uncapped players in the 14-man test squad. And um, I think Roger Harper um, came out and said that Chamar Holder is an exciting fast bowler. Um, is he as exciting as Joffre Archer? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm just, just going to start the competitiveness from, from, from the first question. Um, no, no, because Joffre Archer has... Had, how long has he had in the England squad now? A year? Since yeah, but yeah, yes, about, it's almost exactly uh, a, year, yeah. like a year in the squad. He's in the international eye. If you... Shamar Holder has been spoken about in the Caribbean for so long now as the next as the next great, fast West Indian bowler. Mm -hmm. um, England away is a hard place to make your debut. Um Granted, I think the pitches will suit him, but I just and he's he's toured here before on a West Indies eight or a couple of years back to play uh, against the Lions, etc. So he's not unfamiliar with conditions. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. I think he's about two years behind Archer, not in terms of he'll ever be as good as Archer, but he's two years behind in terms of it's one thing to have potential, it's yeah. another to hit the ground running. Um, on a big international tour and we're not even certain if he's going to play um, because the three tests what so it's two, two at Old Trafford and one at um, 
uh, in uh, Hampshire. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And based on my understanding, those three are the most spin friendly uh, tracks you could probably get for this um, for this tour, which makes me think Rakeem Cornwall has to play. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, if uh, if Moeen was playing, he would play in all three. So that makes me think Rakeem Cornwall plays, which means one of the fast bowlers can't play, which would mean you'd take out the least experienced one. What, what, what about the destroyer of England and Roston Chase when he took eight for 60 last time we played against you? I, I think that's down to England, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no one was more surprised than Roston Chase. <laughs> he ragged it so square it went a full 360 degrees. <laughs> that must be, that's the most innocuous eight wicket haul I've ever, I think I've ever seen in cricket. <laughs> Uh, we were just sitting there watching it, just like ha- head on hands, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Uh, I'd say that but, um, what is actually impressive is um, Jason Holder. So Jason Holder, I think he kind of goes under the radar a little bit. Do you think that's fair to say? And kind of the, or kind of the in world cricket, I mean, he's got the second best bowling average in Test cricket since 2017. Yeah, I think he's definitely underrated. He doesn't kind of come up in debates about the best all-rounders in the world at the moment. I think that's partly down to the fact that he bats all the way at, uh, down at number eight, which is kind of like the unusual thing with the West Indies batting lineup in recent times. We kind of rely on Chase, Dalwich and Holder coming lower down the order to kind of save the innings. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he also, like, he's bowling medium pace. I think he's, 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 he's a good bowler, but obviously second to Jimmy Anderson, who you're going to be coming up against. Uh, how do you think your batsmen are going to fare against Jimmy? Uh, we're predicting several collapses mm-hmm. um, in the course of the season. <laughs> so are we. <laughs> but actually, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that, actually. So let me try and take both those questions. So actually, I'm going to go back to the Holder one first, mm-hmm. because we put up a, we put up a poll uh, maybe last week about who was the better all-rounder, Holder or Stokes. Um, now I knew I knew Ben Stokes would win because I expected a lot of England fans to answer it. Um, but it's an, the reason I put it as a question is because they they're the two. Well, England's a team of all rounders, in fairness. But I mean, um, Holder's ranked number one in the world. I think Stokes is ranked number two, but they have different roles within the team. So Stokes is kind of like a batting all rounder. Holder is a bowling all rounder. One comes at five. One comes at eight. One's expected to what? Win, win with the ball. One's expected to take the game away with the bat, but mm-hmm. um, I don't. It's not so. I don't think Holder's necessarily underrated. I just don't think because, as Santoki says, because he plays so low down, you don't notice him for the batting. And I know he scored the yeah. double ton against England uh, last year, <laughs> but he's not noted yet for what he does with the bat. It's more what he does with the ball. Where Stokes is kind of noted for both. I think you would, you would say. But then, then fast forward into your question about the bowling. The whole, of, the whole of the West Indian top five to me are walking wickets at the moment. And uh, the the natural thing to do for most England fans would be to look at the last tour and remember what Shea Hope and uh, Craig Brathwaite did at Headingley. But both of them haven't performed very well in the last two years. So you, you have a top five of Brathwaite, Campbell, um, Brooks, who's only played three tests. Jermaine Blackwood will come back in. Um, Shy Hope. And then Chase, I'm leaving as the lower middle order with Holder and Dalrich. Those first five haven't got a good enough record that suggests that Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad wouldn't just steamroller through them uh, with the new ball. But more intriguing to me is who you think will be the rest of the bowling attack other than those two. I think... Um, I think... On the pitches, I think we're going to go for Mark Wood will more than likely play. I mm. think, I think we we England have now and we've spoken about it on the last podcast. Um, Jack talked around Ed Smith's kind of selection policy, and I just don't think England go into a game now without having someone with express pace. So I mean, right, okay. and it, Jofra surely is going to be there. I just Jack, yeah, I think they're leaning towards putting Jofra in the one day team, presumably because they think there's a possibility that the T Twenty World Cup will still happen mm. and that's the unit that he will benefit England, England most in I think so what you're thinking you're thinking the bowling attack is what Leach Wood Broad and Anderson yeah with Stokes as, as Stokes as the, the fifth, the fifth man. Right, okay. yeah 
Um, I mean, I'd love to see Joff play. Joff is obviously a really exciting player, and obviously, well, I think he'll we'll play the one day as well, won't he? But yeah, I, th- I think Joff Archer is more likely to be in the one day squad. I mean, if you compare the two in Test cricket between Joffre and Mark Wood, they're both very effective in Test cricket, but Joffre has clearly um, got the edge when it comes to the the one day game and twenty twenty. So I would I would expect that's what's going to happen. See, that's that's. That's interesting to me because I'd rather our batsman face Mark Wood than Jofra, but that's not denigrating what Mark Wood offers because Mark Wood's a very mm-hmm. good bowler. But it's just the name Jofra Archer means I don't want our batsman to face him. You kind of spoke about um, Ben Stokes linking there. So there's rumours that he's going to end up being England captain because of uh, Joe Root kind of sitting out. Um, he doesn't really have some of the qualities that I would see in a captain. Um, but Jason Holder has actually been really impressive as, as captain since taking over in 2015. And he's not only showed strong leadership through a tough period, but he's also come out um, today or yesterday talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. And obviously it's critically important and sport can be a real vehicle for real change. Um, but what are your thoughts around shows of solidarity from Holder and the team? What, what do you think we can expect? Santoki, you take that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, as you say, because it's kind of like the first sporting event to come back, you kind of don't know what to expect. I'm expecting Holder, because as you say, he's an intelligent and articulate young man. He will give some sort of message on the field. Mm-hmm. I don't know to what extent. It could be players when they take a wicket, make doing a gesture, maybe taking a kneel. But I do think you will see some sort of message, but it will be very respectfully done. And I can imagine Holder will be pushing for his team to kind of show solidarity with what's going on in the world at the moment. Yeah, he, he spoke about unity, and I think, um, as, you, as you say, it comes across extremely well. I think, personally, what I'd like to see, because I'm, I'm with, I'm with Santoki, I can't work out what they do. So what I'd like to see, they're going to get a massive global audience for this mm-hmm. um, when this tour um, happens. And um, I think what would be good, whoever's captain on the England side, let's say it's Stokes and Joel Root can't do it for the first test, if both of the... Um, captains just read something out at the start of play i think that's possibly the best way of doing it that just something not generic but you know what i mean just something that says both the england and the west indies team deplore whatever it might be just something like that where you've got a whole global audience watching right at the beginning i think that gets the message across it makes it clear what where both teams stand and then you don't have to wait for any gesture during the actual course of play so to speak i don't know but we should we'll see yeah, um, just a quick one from um, Twitter today. Uh, we we mentioned that you were coming on the show, and um, one of our followers, uh, Samis Shantos, uh, has asked who you think, well, sort of off the top of your heads, I guess, the eleven will be for the first test. Mm. Uh, the West Indies eleven, that is. Uh, well, I think most for the most part they pretty much pick themselves. So you'd have John Campbell and Craig Bathway opening. Obviously, Craig Bathway, as Masha said. A lot of the media will focus on him because of his heroics at Headingley, but he's actually averaged 11 in the last two years of playing tests, so he's pretty much playing for his yeah. spot. Mm-hmm. You'd have Shy Hope coming in at three. Shamar Books, who um, scored a century in the last test we played against Afghanistan at four. I would have Jermaine Blackwood at five. Um, he's coming off an excellent first-class season where he averaged 51 for Jamaica, um, and he played as well in the last tour. He was more of an attacking batsman then, so even at Headingley, in that brilliant run chase, he scored 41 or 45 and hit like two sixes. But he's kind of calmed himself down, shown a lot more patience and time at the crease. So I think he'll be one to watch in that top five. Um, and then Chase at six, Dalwich, hold, Dalwich and Holder, seven, eight. And then coming in, you'd have, I guess, in terms of bowling, you'd have Joseph, Alzari Joseph, Kimar Roach. And then it would be, as Mash alluded to earlier, it'd be down towards either Rakeem Cornwall or Shamar Holder. Mm-hmm. depending on the track. But I know, Mash, you're massively in support of Rakeem Cornwall starting the test. Yeah, yeah. Rakeem Cornwall has to play. Um, he's the best spinner in... There might be some debate. I think he's the best spinner in the Caribbean. Um, his last test match in India against Afghanistan, he took 10 wickets in the match. Seven for 76, I was. I think it was in the second innings. Mm-hmm. Um I think he has to play. I'm surprised, actually, that the English media haven't started writing their fat articles about him yet. But um, yeah, they're typically quite lazy, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I, I presume. I presume those articles are coming, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm yet to see one. 
it'd be equally easy to just turn around and be like, in the last eight games I've played, I've averaged 17 with the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and, exactly. and when he does a Roston chase and takes eight for, yeah. he, can, he can laugh again. <laughs> so we, we shall see, but don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if that's the type of, uh, or he's a big boy as Cornwall without ever actually focusing on what he can do um, um, with, with the ball. So um, I would like to say, if you, actually, let me ask you, would you play Leach in all three tests? I don't think he's going to last three tests, if I'm perfectly honest. Like, oh, yeah, was, they're he, all he, he, almost, he almost died in like in like, um, November time. And then, <laughs> yeah, like, and then the whole way through, like being in the biosphere when you've got someone who like, has an autoimmune um, condition, it's one of those things. And I think we've tried to pick as many spinners as we can in that kind of... We've picked them all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kind of going, right, who, who can actually do this? Um, and actually, that's a, that's a good point you raise because we forget that these tests are all back to back. So, and we kind of said this in our last pod, read the West Indies. So, we assume that one of the fast bowlers will break down at, in the in a point of one of the. I, I don't. When would you last have ever seen three test matches played back to back? So, so you have to assume there have to be some changes at some point for both teams. Well, there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's no way Mark Wood is going to last that, is he? Or even Jimmy Anderson. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Anderson was, uh, was walking wounded the whole of last summer, really, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've got you've got the added aspect as well of the players having been in lockdown for the last three, four months, which is inevitably going to increase chances of injuries anyway, on top of the hectic schedule. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, just to sort of round off, I guess, the questions about players then, um, what... What's the kind of expectation uh, for West Indies in this series? Is it to to compete, to win a test, to not lose by an innings in every match? Is there a chance you can win? No. Let's let's try let's try and break it let's break it down into the the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so the ugly would be three nil and three innings defeats. Um, the bad would be maybe there isn't a bad. The okay would be two one, mm-hmm. like last time. Where if we won a test, I think that would be a good achievement. Um, and then the good would be any kind of win would be a huge, huge upset mm-hmm. because West Indies haven't won an away series since nineteen ninety five, which a lot of people don't realise. Yeah. So really yeah. i had no idea that, yeah. exactly no one no one really recognizes that stat because okay we've drawn a series but we haven't actually won one anywhere okay oh, sorry against against sorry i should take caveat that against anyone other than bangladesh zimbabwe afghanistan yeah. we haven't beaten anyone who's recognized as the top top test nation mm-hmm. um away from home so i think it's unrealistic to expect west indies and i think even jason holder said so in the press conference yesterday he was like listen we're underdogs here. There's like we aren't expected to win this, but then West Indies weren't expected to win in the Caribbean. So if 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 Bravo and Hetmeyer and Paul had travelled, I might be slightly more confident of um, maybe I don't know Santoki. Do you reckon? Yeah, I'd I'd be slightly more confident if Bravo and Hetmeyer were in the team, but I just think. As you, as Machel's kind of said in the past, we kind of expect at the moment for every innings to end up being 50 or 60 with five wickets down just because the top order is so brittle. And I think if you're comparing it to the West Indies series win last year, the English focus was different. It was more on white ball cricket, whereas now they've realigned that towards test cricket. So I think you're going to see a, a more focused and intense England side who obviously want to get their trophy back as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think all those factors add up to the fact that most probably we'll lose 3-0, but I would like to see West Indies at least put up a fight and try to score 300 whenever they bat an Indians, just to show they've got that kind of steel and develop for the future. I, think I completely agree with that. And I think um, what is interesting is that you uh, you look at the England team and we're just starting to bed in some of the players, like people like Dom Sibley, um, Zach Crawley, people like that. Rory Burns is going to be back in the side. Um, these are people who've kind of proven they can hit runs in England now and, and in an England shirt, which is a big thing. Um, it'd be interesting to see, though, how they kind of go against the West Indies tactics. I mean, typically, we've been pretty pants against the short ball. And I'd say West Indies have had the wood over England a couple of times. Yeah, um, and actually, it's, it's, I'm glad you said that because I had to familiarise myself with 
the last time England had even played Test cricket, which must have been the what South Africa series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're right. They had, and that was to me a brand new England team. What? Who's Sibley and Crawley at the top? Was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ollie Pulper five or six. Um, yeah. So to me, the England team is in kind of this is a new age England team as far as I'm concerned, batting wise, anyways. Mm-hmm. So yes, I would have been happier maybe if Shannon Gabriel was completely fit. But I actually think that, um, okay, Rory Burns probably will come back in, but at least two of those three, Crawley, Sibley or Pope, will be playing. And actually, they're probably going to come under a bit of a stern test. Mm-hmm. The, like the West Indies strong suit is our bowling. Yeah. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the England batsmen go. I think it will be a series which is defined by uh, whose batting is weaker, and that's definitely ours. Um but but also the the one thing that I must say possibly levels it up. In any normal circumstance, you're saying England one hundred percent. But because England are in the same kind of situation as West Indies in, they're not really prepared. They're not match fit. Neither are we. And actually, when both teams are entering at a disadvantage, that kind of evens up the playing field for the weaker side, not for the better side. Because for for West Indies to compete against England, England have to lower their standards, which is what happened in the Caribbean. Um, so there is a there is an outside part of me which says actually, England won't be one hundred percent for that first test, as we won't as well. Um, maybe we'll catch them on the hop. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the other thing is that <clears throat> no one really knows is what the quality of the pitches will yeah. be like. I mean, it's it's no one no one's played on them all year. It's 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 basically guesswork. <laughs> Um, as to as to how they will play, and uh, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the West Indies has been about the hardest place to bat in the world for the last couple of years. Yes, yeah, because it's part of of the, the the quality of the pitches. So if they if they're maybe not quite, I mean, like normally you'd consider both of those grounds to be fairly easy to bat on until at least sort of the third or fourth day. Um, but if they if they're not great from uh, on day one, then I, I do think that will make things a bit closer. How do you see the impact of no crowds? So I don't know if you've been watching like the German football on BT, like every time a goal goes in, like you hear like all 22 people going, <laughs> and I've been trying to work out how that's going to correlate to a cricket match when there's no one in the, I'm, I can't get my head round how a, uh, how a, how an international cricket match plays with no fans, and they're not going to put audio above it. I don't think they will. They're not going to put the audio. So there was talk around that, and it'd be interesting because they could put like the Lord's hum, like <laughs> just do the <laughs> <laughs> constant murmur. Um, I think I all of these players will have played county championship cricket relatively recently, so I think almost deathly silence shouldn't be too alien to them. Yeah, you know, it's it's probably in terms of in a game of cricket, it's something that players will be much more used to than in a game of football. You know, at, at any level of football, there's going to be a lot of, of noise behind you, but there can be times when you're playing cricket where it is pretty quiet. So I I, I think um, that's that's something that might not be as huge an impact as it might come across at least I, in. I think in terms like of view, the viewing experience, it will be weird for England fans because it, wherever England go in the world it's the the holiday destination of the mm. of the winter um they'll they'll take 8000 fans basically anywhere except maybe Bangladesh and Pakistan um and and that creates sort of some kind of an atmosphere but i don't i mean like I've, i i watch quite a lot of um of cricket and it, a lot of test matches have basically no one there um, in fact, I went, like a few years ago, I went to a West Indies game in Barbados, and I think that the attendance you could, I counted there were about 180 people. Yeah, exactly. So the, for the, the third day, so it's um... for the West Indians, I don't think it makes any difference. Yeah, we're used to no one turning up unless obviously <laughs> it's an England tour. But um, I just I just don't know how it will look to us as viewers, mm. even though we're used to watching cricket and expecting to see no one in certain circumstances. I don't know. It'll be a bit weird, I think, initially getting our heads round watching it never mind those playing it i think the people who are going to struggle possibly the most will be the commentators because mm. if they've got when they're trying to fill gaps in play they'll just go and pick something out in the crowd and talk about that 
they're not going to have that to talk about. So they're going to be they're going to have their work cut out. They'll be we should be able to uh, find out some some uh, pretty niche stats. I think they'll be, they'll be throwing over to Benedict quite a lot. But I mean, there's one other thing actually as well with um, sort of how things will be different that I was wondering about. And again, something that could be we've spoken about levelers, but one other thing might be. You know, one of the main things about making playing in England is so difficult is the moving ball, uh, the conditions. We don't know what that's going to look like in terms of shining it. You know, there's obviously going to be no saliva applied. Um, I don't. The ICC have said that sweat's okay. I don't know if, what the ECB are, are thinking of that because originally they didn't want that happening with the training. So that will be interesting to see how the ball behaves as well, whether there's any difference, whether we can extract the same amount of movement as normal. I mean, I, th- I feel like the dumbest guy in the world because I really don't understand why they've banned saliva. So they're in a biosphere. They've got all these players. They've done all the tests. <laughs> everyone's been tested. E- every- everyone's, been, everyone's been tested. And then they're going, but you can't do what is ultimately a pretty fundamental part of the game. Mm. I'm not. I'm not sure what they're protecting. Is it, is, it, is it an issue with the tests? If there's an issue with the tests, surely nothing, this whole thing shouldn't go on. So I'm, I'm not really sure what they're talking about. Yeah, I've got to agree. I've got to agree with that. And there's a worry deep in deep in the back of my mind. I, I don't know how much of a difference saliva makes. A, a Kemar Roach had an interview yesterday where he was like, "This is going to be very interesting to see how we extract movement without mm. saliva." And then as soon as I read that, I was like, so what? Are we looking at like 800 runs in a test match? Like, <laughs> like, what, like what's going to be going on here? So it'll, it'll be interesting to see um, how much impact, how little movement or once the ball loses its shine, is that it then? Is it just dead cricket until someone declares? I mean, so from, from a kind of purist perspective, there'll be little niches mm. looking at it, uh, looking at this test and seeing how much impact certain things make. Um to 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 the nature of test cricket. So just yeah, I mean that's that's yeah, going to be interesting to see the impact of of the new guidelines and sort of sticking with COVID. Now, um, we've spoken a lot about the ECB and the plans that they've got for how cricket is going to come back recreationally, and we've spoken about the things they've done with the professional game and our thoughts on that. Uh, we want, we were wondering what's going on in the West Indies in adapting to COVID and whether there's a plan in place and what sorts of things we can expect. So, Santos, do you want to speak about CPL? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, just because the relative rates of COVID, I mean, you've got islands like Barbados, Antigua, Jamaica, where the numbers are even non-existent or very low. There are plans to go ahead with the Caribbean Premier League in August, so that will be the first T20 franchise tournament that kind of runs. Um, at the moment, they're hoping to have it all in one location. So Trinidad is being mooted as the location. And mm-hmm. there are there are some rumours that if the cases do stay virtually non-existent, they might be able to allow some fans in. So it seems like the West Indies, because of the nature of the region in terms of being isolated islands, they could be the sort of first area in the world to kind of have some sort of fans back at cricket matches. Yeah, I think um, we, because we also had the uh, the VPL in um, was it Saint Vincent? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Saint Vincent, Saint Lucia have just said that they're going to run a T20 league as well. Now that VPL one in Saint Vincent, by the time the tournament came to an end, there were fans in the in the stands, not lots, but mm-hmm. some were allowed in. So let's say, well, there's huge issues about whether the World Cup will go ahead. Will IPL try and steal the World Cup thunder, etc. But there could be, I don't know how serious anyone's discussing it, but if they really want to get cricket on, they might move cricket to the Caribbean and just say, well, actually, you're one of the few, or New Zealand as well, actually, you're one of the few areas where actually seem, things seem to be under control. Because I think New Zealand have said, basically New Zealand's gone back to normal, hasn't it? So yeah. they'll be having sport with fans in from like next week or something. So certain areas cricket can just return relatively quickly uh, with with fans back. It's, but I guess kind of like with the Bundesliga in football, I think everybody's waiting for that first country to take the step to learn what they need to learn. And then they'll go from there. So everyone saw the Bundesliga could do it properly. So now other leagues have decided to come back. 
they'll see England and West Indies have this series, and that will give the go-ahead for then IPL to be like, right, we're going to have the IPL, because clearly, because yeah. clearly it can happen. Um, so we have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah, I think that's um, it's going to be really important for cricket to to test it and see if we can make it work. And it sounds like if we can get cricket going on in the Caribbean, that's going to be really good for the game in the Caribbean and. There, I think there were some other countries as well earlier in the uh, sort of pandemic outbreak that had said, "Oh yeah, come and host the county championship here." I think places like Afghanistan were talking about it. So um, that is, it's a possibility. It would be interesting to see. Oh, I, I would love um, to see Tim Murta run in at Baghdad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's dangerous enough at Lords. Let's. Uh, um, but sticking with that, really. So if if the Caribbean maybe hosted some cricket, that would be good for for the game um what's what's the health of the game in the caribbean like at the moment you've spoken about some of those limited overs competitions and one thing we were wondering is whether there's still that you know it's the classic question of test cricket limited overs cricket whether there's still that appetite that test cricket is the the top top level or whether we're more likely to see west indies cricketers in the mold of andre russell kyron pollard nicholas Peran, who are you know, quite big in the franchise cricket and the in the short form of the game. Um, I would. Do you know what? I would say that probably now, with this with this crop of youngsters who've grown together under the Test side, so the the Chris Gale kind of Bravo Pollard um, Narine era is slowly coming to an end, um, and that's not to that's not to disrespect that kind of era there. They're superstars in T20 cricket. And in fairness, with someone like Chris Gell, he was a superstar in Test and ODIs before he was a superstar in uh, T20s. But um, this new era and crop of youngsters do actually want to play the West Indies the, as, and see that as their primary aim. But one of the reasons why is because in the last two years, the West Indies Cricket Board has improved the contract offers that players get to commit to playing for the West Indies. Still nothing like playing for England, India or Australia, but at least enough to make some kind of living. So if you are a professional player playing for your island, you can... They've made sure that the game is basically professionalised. So say you never make it to the West Indies team, but you're a solid player for Jamaica in the middle order, you'll make enough money to live as a cricketer. And that was a key change to... People can only take cricket seriously if it's financially worth their while. Now, in the in the Chris Gale era, financially worth their while was to go and play franchise competitions. Um, for this era of cricketers, so take a Shimron Hetmeyer, and also, in fairness, give the West Indies Cricket Board some credit as well because they made sure that their cricket fit uh, was played around things like the IPL. So we don't play during the IPL. We don't play during the Caribbean Premier League. And basically what the West Indies Cricket Board said to this next generation of youngsters is, if you get a T20 contract for IPL or CPL, go ahead, go play it. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get in your way. Go make whatever money you need to make. You don't have to represent the West Indies. All we ask in return is that if if you're selected for the West Indies cricket team in the other, outside of those competitions, your first commitment is to West Indies cricket. And even then, say you get picked for big bash you come west indies and then go play the four games remaining in big bash or whatever might be left over from the result of um whatever tour <clears throat> and i think that combined with the better contracts being offered in in uh, for playing for west indies means players have been more likely now to commit their future uh to the west indies but that notwithstanding there is still that big question mark it's all going to well saying we have a window for IPL, we have a window for CPL. But take Shimron Hetmeyer as a best example. If the Pakistani Super League offered him big bucks to go and play a whole Super League, would he really turn that down? As, mm. So it's, it's, I'll always say the big, the big three uh, teams, international teams, have an advantage because their players can afford. If you've got an ECB central contract, you can afford to turn down T20 contracts all around the world. But the, you can afford to turn down the IPL. But yeah, exa- the exactly. Contract, and, that's, that's, <laughs> and that says everything. So, and I think the West Indies will never, ever be in that position. So all the while they're, they're not in that position, 
actually, who are we to say that a player shouldn't put their financial say, uh, future first? So, no, yeah. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think um, that's a fair point. Um, but I think what you said about giving the West Indies cricket board some credit is, is very fair. I think it's very important to sort of set your stall out early and set the conversation on your terms. Um, sort of essentially saying, yeah, we're absolutely fine with you going and playing this and we understand the need to make money. Um, but at the same time, allow, allowing that to happen as well as making it clear that test cricket is important. And I think in this country, we often have a problem with uh, the kinds of people in the media who speak about cricket and they are they can be quite traditional in their test is best don't go and play the IPL instead of trying into the test team. I won't name names, but I think we can think of a few off the top of our heads who are, who are guilty. One of them of that. might have just been retired by uh, <laughs> Test Match Special. Um, I mean, with the question I just asked about about that sort of the the state of the West Indies game was uh, possibly a little bit guilty of stepping into one of the um, media cliches that you tweeted about the other day, um, which we picked up on. Um, one of which was articles about the glory days of the 70s and 80s in West Indies cricket, uh, one about Shy Hope, which you mentioned earlier, having one good game in Headingley and now being the future of the West Indies cricket. And I mean, we're, we're very sympathetic with that. We, I think we joined in the conversation and suggested also that um, cricket needing a, a strong West Indies is very important as another classic, uh, classic cliche. Um, but we, we were also interested in what sort of important stories we think we should be hearing about West Indies cricket at the moment what you think should be in the in the public domain aside from stories about Rakeem Cornwall being fat and others want to take this and tell you yeah I just think so um the initial reasoning for that tweet was I think as you said um especially it tends to be of the English media they generally tend to be of that group who grew up kind of watching those likes of Clive Lloyd with Richard. So there tends to always be an unfair comparison of whenever a West Indies team tours England, they're compared to this great team, which is pretty much a, a once-in-a-lifetime team, um, which will be hard to replicate. So you're kind of it kind of diminishes the achievements of the current crop, and I feel like that's kind of overdone in the media. In terms of um, what kind of stories you'd like to see, I guess just more focus on the current couple of players who are coming in. So, for instance, now it'd be good to see articles on maybe Shamar Brooks, who's made it into the test team, scored a century on his third test, rather than the same regurgitated stories of can Shai Hope replicate his innings that he done three years ago. So just kind of a fresh outlook on giving kind of like an, a look, an introspective in terms of players around, across the whole team, rather than focusing on one or two who are kind of put on a pedestal purely because they've achieved in England in the past. So I think just a general overview of the team would be good. And by minimising the comparisons to the likes of Viv Richards and Clive Lloyd, you're kind of giving these new couple of players breathing space to kind of develop their own personalities and how the public kind of views them. Yeah, and I think just adding to that as well, actually, is, and I don't, I think this might be the first tour where it doesn't happen now for the West Indies, but no longer... Because we, we talked about the Clive Lloyd era <clears throat> and Courtney Walsh, Kirtley Ambrose, etc., Lara, but no longer comparing this team as well to the T20 players who don't play test cricket. Yeah. Like, I think we've got to... And also because those players are old. Chris Gale's 41 years old now, or going to be 41 years old. Uh, Bravo's 37. Narayan is actually relatively young. He's 31. Uh, Andre Russell is 30, Kyron Pollard's 32. Yes, we know they're T20 superstars, but these players that are touring are good in their own right, some of them. And if we forever put them in the shadow of what went before or what is going on elsewhere in T20, this is why people in in other countries don't know about these players. That's precisely why um, John Campbell can tour England and people like be who the hell is John Campbell? Um, for, for example, um, Jason Holder is probably our most well-known player. And for him to do that, he had to get to number one, be the number one all-rounder in the world for people to start taking some notice of, like they didn't notice him getting there, but they noticed it once it was announced he was the number one um, all-rounder uh, in the world. So um, other stories I would say as well, but I don't know how much they'll be documented during this tour is about the financial situation Cricket West Indies finds themselves in. They are in serious debt. Um, and this COVID, this COVID nineteen situation has couldn't have come at a worse time um, 
Hence why that story broke today about the ECB having to forward a loan to Cricket West Indies just to tie them over mm-hmm. until the July payments come from uh, the ICC. Um, it is very hard. Basically, you can't make money in the West Indies on any cricket unless England tour. That's the that's the be all and end all. We make a bit of money from India because of all the sponsorship that comes with India touring. Um, as Jack alluded to earlier on, basically England touring the West Indies is a holiday for everybody in England who wants to go. Um, and the West Indies depend on that, the, the England tour to basically tie them over for a whole year or two. So I'm hoping that um, like someone like a Michael Atherton needs to do a big long piece on it or something. Like, well, maybe we should, yeah. but um, <laughs> I'm hoping that once this tour is done, what I'd like to see is the future tours program just get ripped up. We start all over again and England, India and Australia, yes, commit to playing each other because they're the big series that everybody cares about, but actually recognise that, like, I don't know about you three, but <clears throat> I grew up when West Indies were getting five match test series with England on a regular basis. Now it's just a little three match test series and granted that's because we turn shit, but... <laughs> but but the point is a five match test series in the caribbean one england fans would love that and two it makes it makes us money so i think the natural uh consequence of this tour should be that would i hope be a five match test tour uh, very very soon in the caribbean yeah that um I, I mean, I think given how sort of quite good the the last series in the Caribbean was, a, a five match test series there, I think would one be quite good to watch. I mean, it's always on at a nice time in the UK, mm. um, <laughs> Caribbean cricket. So I think one, it'd be quite good to watch, but uh, and two, competitive, and three, yeah, as you say, um, might uh, in a sense provide uh, kind of an equitable. Um, reward for, for what the West Indies are doing for the ECB now and I don't think that can really be understated um, the, it, English cricket financially speaking was in trouble if there was no cricket this summer because yeah, we kept on spaffing um, up the war on the hundred you did you spoke briefly about what uh, about the story that broke today um, I don't know if that will be picked up, to be honest, in, in massive detail in, in, in the English media. What exactly have the ECB done or, uh, with, the, with the West Indies Cricket Board? So, um, yeah, so the story... And is it above board as well? Is it, is it, is it, is it legit? Yes, yeah, legit, it's legit. So this is... Okay. There's two sides to the story, but I'm going to just tell the official account. So uh, <laughs> the, the official... A lot of you stood allegedly. <laughs> yeah, let me brief... Whatever I say next is all alleged. But, um, <laughs> but I have seen the documentation. But um, in in April this year, the ECB forwarded or gave three million US dollars to Cricket West Indies, um, or actually at the start of May. And the reason why is because the ICC gives out payments to cricket boards twice a year: uh, one payment in January, one payment in July. By the start of May. Obviously, we're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic all around the world and Cricket West Indies basically can't pay anyone. Even now, as we speak, the the domestic players in West Indies haven't been paid their full. They're still owed five rounds worth of payment for the domestic competition they haven't got yet. Um, in two weeks ago, the West Indies announced that everybody in the whole um, cricket industry from players to, to staff to administration have to take a 50% pay cut. So anyways, ECB lent West Indies 3 million US to tide them over until the ICC give them the payment in July. When that payment comes from the ICC in July, 3 million of that will be deducted because the ICC will just give 3 million to the ECB because West Indies owe it to them. And then the West Indies will get, obviously, their payment 3 million less. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. Right. Now, that's come out yesterday or late last night that story came out in the Caribbean and the the what's caused the consternation in the Caribbean about it is that people in the Caribbean have said, wait a minute, is that why we agreed to tour England? Is it has it basically been, well, we lent you money, so you have to come. Mm-hmm. Now, Johnny Graves, CEO of Cricket West Indies, has then said, 
no, that's nonsense. That loan was given to us way before we started discussing what was going to happen with the England tour. We needed money. The ECB are our friends. They've given us a loan to help tide us over till we get our money in July. That's all there is to it. We, the tour discussion started after that. It was nothing to do with take this money and then come on the tour. Like That's the two sides. Then my take on it is this. Even if the money had nothing to do with the West Indies agreeing to come on the tour, it kind of, if I go to you and say, lend me a tenner, don't I owe you? <laughs> so, so although it wasn't, although it wasn't directly tied to the tour, it's the documentation says that the Cricket West Indies received that money on the 1st of May or 30th of April. The conversations about tour in England started that same month. So the money's not to do about the tour. I agree with that. But it meant that West Indies were probably going to have to do England a favour once those conversations started. Do you, do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spirit of cooperation. Base, yes, that's that, that's the official line I'm taking. It was, a... <laughs> and it's, it's not like the Eng it's not like England and West Indies have ever been caught up in any kind of financial misgivings before. Yes, exactly. Like super series or anything like that. Exactly. So this is this is all alleged conversation. <laughs> Jason yeah. Holder into the middle of the edgiest bowl via helicopter. <laughs> um, I think that kind of wraps up most of the things we wanted to ask. Um, the final thing, I, I, I guess, is uh, for the for the test series, are you prepared to make um, a prediction uh, for what you think the final score will be? Are you going to make one? I'm going to go two nil England. If I had to, if I if you're going to put me on the spot, two nil England. What with one washed out. With some rain in there, yeah, probably. Okay. Um, I, I don't think actually England are good enough to to win all three games. So if, if uh, but I think it will take the West Indies most of a test to beat England, if that makes sense. Ah, uh, yeah, I get that. Um, yeah. Santoki, I'm not predicting yet. One second, let me think. I'm going to say if if go there's on. no rain, I'm going to be very pessimistic and go for three nil England. Unfortunately. I was, hoping there'd, be, I was hoping there'd be a bit more of a, a bit more of fight from you. I thought, I thought it was going to be just like, you know what? Actually, we're going to do them. We'll beat them two one. Uh... <laughs> um, I'm the reason I haven't didn't want answers is because I was trying to desperately think under what circumstance could we win a test. Um... I didn't even I think, think it's about possible. It. <laughs> England, England have a bowled out by, for 90 against uh, Ireland this time last year. They, True. England True. aren't that good. So, so, um, so one of the circumstances could well be second test. We've Jimmy Anderson's picked after the first game. We also pick the same fast bowler like Mark Wood. Both of them break down <laughs> and have to go off the field. There's no substitutes because they've got no. They haven't got coronavirus or a concussion. And they and then we're 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 left with. Um, uh, Dom Sibley bowling off cutters for three days. <laughs> he, he bowls leg spin actually, Ross. Oh, sorry. And he get and he gets an eight for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I've got one. I've got one. I'm going to go two one England, even though Santoki knows I actually think he'll be three nil. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go two one England. But the reason why is them at least on one occasion across the three Test matches, West Indies must bat first and. If they put scores on the board, so there must at least be one innings where West Indies make over 350, and that will be the one test match where England are suddenly put under pressure. And I, back, I, I would yeah. back our bowling to bowl England out in that one innings, that one time for less than 200, and then suddenly there's a test match on. Um, whether they win, I think that could happen. Yeah, so something like that seems a bit plausible, more plausible than anything else to, for West Indies to win. So 2 1 is England. Probably seems more plausible from an English point of view than a West Indies. Yeah, point yeah, of view. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's everything then, um, fellas. Is there anything that? Where can we find you? Or where can people find you? And is there anything else you want to you want to mention um, before you go? Um, you know, just um, so I'm sure you you'll put it in the, when you put the pod out. But we're at we're um, at Carib Cricket. I'm sure you can spell that C A R I B Cricket. Um, and yeah, all we'll be doing really um, is updating throughout the course of the the tour itself we've got a few more guests on um and some special podcasts due during the during the uh, course of the tour so do listen out um any kind of interaction questions you've got head over to us and um 
of course, keep listening to you guys. It's been good getting to know you guys, and uh, let's hook up further in the in the course of the tour. Yeah, great having you on the show, and may, maybe let's do a watch along, and we can see the despair of, bo- <laughs> of both of us at the quality of the thing. Brilliant. Well, thank brilliant. you very much, guys, for joining, and uh, been an absolute pleasure. No worries, guys. Thanks very much. Take care. We love hearing from our listeners, so please follow us at The Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you have a great story like Scotty G did about the Hayden Way, Matthew Hayden's personal website, we want to hear about it. So from wherever you're from, send us in a great story and we'll read out on the show. Email us on thecricketpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Uh, So thanks for listening to our interview with the guys at the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. Um, Just a reminder, you can find us at thecricketpod or thecricketpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. See you later. The Cricket Podcast. I think it should never be permitted to happen again. Very good.